everyone. This is a call to actions. We're independently podcasted on all the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Podbean. I prefer Podbean. Uh, anyways, we have a special guest today, and I'm not usually too nervous when doing interviews, um, but uh, but we have a, probably one of the best researchers in the United States of America currently. His name is Seamus Bruner, and just as a quick introduction, he just he just launched a new book that's available uh, to the public at a lot of a lot of the main bookstores as well as online. His name is Seamus Bruner. He's the author of the brand spanking new book, Controligarchs, Exposing the Billionaire Class, Their Secret Deals, and the Globalist Plot to Dominate Your Life. As well, he is the Director of Research at the Government Accountability Institute. So, on behalf of all of our listeners, Seamus, I want to welcome you to A Call to Actions. Bobby, I'm so honored to be with you, and I'm humbled by that intro. It's very kind words, and it's it's great to be able to catch up with you on your podcast. It's been too long, brother. It has been a while. Um, our <laughs> our mission uh, sometimes uh, sometimes our paths do cross. It's uh, pretty interesting, and uh, it's just an honor to have you here. Uh, this is episode number 65, by the way, but uh, I plan on bringing Seamus back again because he has such a wealth of, of knowledge that we're not going to be able to cover in only uh, one hour. But, um, but first of all, let's, uh, let's introduce our audience uh, to you, uh, Mr. Bruner. Um, so Seamus, uh, how and why did you get into deep dive research? Well... Depending on how far back we go, I mean, as a kid, I was always a curious kid. Uh, I went to college and did well in writing. Thought I actually I studied political science. Thought I might want to get into politics. This is uh, over a decade ago, and I volunteered for a gentleman named Peter Schweitzer, who happens to live in Tallahassee. I'm I'm blessed in that regard. Getting to know Peter Schweitzer changed my life for the better because he uh, put to rest any notions of going into politics. I first worked with him on a book, his book called Throw Them All Out. And it was about how both sides in Congress are corrupt and it exposed insider trading on both sides, how Congress members will uh, you know, get all the best juicy insider intel and then they'll go buy stocks on it and it's not even illegal. And if you or I were to do that, we'd go to jail like Martha Stewart did. Um, and so that was kind of where I first learned about following the money and investigating corruption. And it was just fun. It was uh, like a like a treasure hunt uh, for corruption. Maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, maybe there's something wrong with me. I don't know. But then uh, Clinton Cash was another book that I worked on of Schweitzer's. And that was really fun. Uh, just expose. I mean, because it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Everywhere you turned, the Clintons were taking more money from corrupt individuals, and Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, was selling out our foreign policy to the highest bidder. Um, and so then that led to another book, Secret Empires, with Schwe- that's by Schweitzer, that exposed the Biden uh, crime family and how they took millions of dollars tied to the tens of millions of dollars tied to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence and the 
it was the Burisma scandal that we broke where the Ukrainian gas company was paying Hunter Biden a million dollars a year uh, for nothing, apparently, if you ask the Bidens, just just giving him a million dollars a year. Um, could it possibly be cut be because Joe Biden uh, got the prosecutor that was investigating Burisma fired? Uh, and so I, I got to the end of uh, a few a few of these Schweitzer investigations and just wondered how on earth is such corruption allowed to persist? How does this happen? Uh, why why is it so obvious that little old me and Schweitzer in Tallahassee, Florida can find this corruption so easily like you've done up in up in your neck of the woods? And uh, in time after time, realize that it's the Department of Justice and the FBI corruption in those agencies that allows it to continue. I mean, uh, more often than not, you find the Department of Justice granted Hillary Clinton some sort of a conflict of interest waiver or, uh, you know, some sort of immunity deal. And they, they always look the other way. And I know you're familiar with examples of you know, giving tips to the FBI and asking and begging the FBI to investigate some terrible corrupt thing and the, they never do. So that's why I wrote the book, Compromised, How Money and Politics Drive FBI Corruption. And, and that might have been when you and I first became acquainted. Otherwise, it would have been the book Fallout, Nuclear Bribes, Russian Spies, and the Washington Lies that enriched the Clinton and Biden dynasties. And that was all about the nuclear corruption that you've done so much to expose and jeff uh, walburn and chick lawson deserve huge shout outs for uh, the corruption that went on and that went on and is still going on in piketon and paducah and other nuclear sites around the country and just to bring it to where we are today um i get to the i got to the end of these a lot of these investigations and saw that yeah, the politicians are totally corrupt and they, you know, they are not doing what their constituents need them to do. And they're passing laws like the EEOICPA that protect the nuclear contractors and, and really uh, harm the residents of nuclear sites and got to the end of it. And, and especially today, I mean, you see it all the time today. It just, it looks like a clown show on Congress. I mean, I don't, I've I've met with you know several Congress members and tried to brief them on our findings and more often than not they don't even know what you're talking about they don't even care what you're talking about they're kind of just more focused on their next viral moment and all their staffers are running around saying oh did you see so and so tweeted about us and and it's uh, sort of depressing to see what our our elected officials are actually up to which is not much but. That's what really led me to this book, which I think is is much more is much bigger than the other books in a lot of ways because you know and we've all felt it we all you know have have noticed that you know there's actually a class above the political class that seems to be making a lot of the decisions the the corporate class the and I call them the control oligarchs because they are really wielding the politicians and bending them to their will uh, to pass pass the laws you know the I don't think any of the politicians, just to give you an example that you and your audience might be familiar with, I don't know that any of the politicians really know or care about like the EEO ICPA. I mean, it's usually written by lobbyists for some giant nuclear corporation where it says that, uh, and, and it's very analogous to, you know, this book came out of the pandemic, how the vaccine manufacturers have written themselves laws uh, uh, granting them immunity from liabilities. Like the politicians they just need to be uh, thrown some cash 
and uh, you know, handed a bill and they'll get it passed. Um, they don't actually know the the specifics and the ins and outs and the science behind something like vaccines or to, you know toxic radiation. Um, and so, so that's that's what this book is about: is exposing the people above the political class who just hand over a white paper or a pre a pre written piece of legislation, and the politicians just shovel it through. Oh yeah. <clears throat> And again, this book is called Controlagarchs. Uh, how long ago did you release this book? Oh, this book is just out, just uh, maybe two, two, three weeks ago. Right, yeah, brand spanking new. Um, yeah, the treasure hunt when putting together large projects. Uh, I've never written a book, but but I, you know I have written some articles, and uh, I I'm constantly thinking about all the clues that I've learned so far. And you know how it ties in to uh, to one certain investigation, and how maybe a few may be linked together. Um, it's really one reason that I wake up in the morning and get excited to get up in the morning is is the uh, the research process and the uh, what I call information excavation process. And I love the way you put that is the treasure hunt. I love that, and I'm pretty sure. Um, our paths really started to cross uh, when you were writing Fallout, uh, and you you put those pieces together unlike anyone's put them together. You know, we've uh, you know Jeff Wabern, Chick, uh, myself, and and some others. We've done what we could do, but we'd never formally put uh, a piece together that explains it all in such a uh, in such a a good. Uh, digestible manner as your book fallout did um yeah that's definitely a piece of piece of uh, american history that book and i think it'll be read for hundreds of years if america is still here uh though moving on here the cover of your new book controlagarchs what i see is i see a five-headed beast here uh there are five individuals if you can uh from left to right, would you be able to, to go over who these individuals are and their significance and you know, why you chose to expose them individually? Sure. Why don't, and why don't I go uh, from, from right to left? Because most people will have heard of the man on the right, George yeah. Soros, the perennial boogeyman of uh, you know, uh, the, the political right. Every, every, nobody has not heard of George Soros. Everyone knows George Soros. And so he, he deserved inclusion because he's one of the godfathers of the new world order. Um, and so we can, we can get into that, but I'll just briefly go over each one. So George Soros, I wasn't sure by the way, if George Soros would be alive, um, by the time the book came out, I mean, this all started two or three years ago. Um, and, and the guy is now 93 years old, so he's really getting up there in years. So it's actually the entire Soros clan, as I call you, the spawn of Soros, as I call them. He's got five kids. Alexander Soros is the one who's just recently been appointed to take over the $25 billion dark money uh, network called the Open Society Foundation. So we really get into Alex Soros and, and where the Soros uh, dark money network is headed next. Uh, sitting beside George Soros is Amazon's Jeff Bezos. Uh, Bezos is kind of a quiet dude. Like when he's not uh, posing on the cover of 
Vanity Fair uh, with his new uh, muscles that he's <laughs> he's built. Uh, he, he's he's kind of hiding behind the in the shadows, and nobody really knows what what the guy's up to. A lot of people think that he's sort of a libertarian guy, and uh, he just makes a great product. Amazon, where this book is sold, not my choice. Um, actually, one of the reasons I wanted to do, include him is because the Amazon monopoly is just killing not just bookstores, but every store, every local business. Um, and so we get into his climate change ambitions. He's funding the fake meats. He's funding a lot of these uh, climate control type technology, smart thermostats that are being used to uh, force people to live in uncomfortable te uh, temperatures in their homes. And we can talk about that. I mean, it sounded like conspiracy theory, but I looked it up and sure enough, in at least three states, smart thermostats are locking people out of their homes. So just imagine waking up in the middle of the night freezing and you go to try to turn on your heat and you get a little smart message saying that, sorry, there's uh, too many electric vehicles charging right now. So you're going to have to stick it out in the cold for a few hours until the solar panels uh, melt. <laughs> but uh, Bill yeah. Gates... Bill Gates is the uh, he's he's the central character. He appears in almost every chapter just because he's got his finger in so many pies. I mean, whether it's the farmland takeover, which a lot of people have heard about, or um, certainly his 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 interest in vaccines is a little unsettling. Uh, he he's he's an overpopulation freak who uh, a lot of you know a lot of the characters in this book believe that there's just too many peasants uh, breathing their air and. Uh, Somehow they want to reduce the global populations. We kind of get into how they're doing that. I think he invested uh, about ten billion dollars in clip-on bow ties too, didn't he? I'm joking. Is that right? I'm kidding. Carry <laughs> on. Funny. Carry on. And oh well, no. To his credit, as I'm looking at the cover, that actually looks like a real bow tie. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. The clip-ons are a little thinner. That that looks a little too floppy to be a clip-on. But uh, anyway, he's in a bow tie for those who are just listening. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg to his left of course everyone knows mark zuckerberg most people would think they might know everything there is to know about about mark zuckerberg but um that what i you know the things that i get into with zuckerberg are, are the transhuman is, is stuff that we'll probably be talking about a, a little a little later and uh, i call it his 36 billion dollar plot to force you into tech addiction which is becoming more and more known now but uh yeah we'll definitely yeah, he's, we, he's we, actually we definitely need to talk we'll more ahead. about that. De we'll definitely talk more about the about Zuckerberg's transhumanism uh, agenda. As I, I haven't followed much of his transhuman agenda, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say uh, a little later. Sure, sure. And then finally, on the on the far left, you've got this guy Klaus Schwab. Uh, I know the savvy listeners of your show are familiar with Klaus Schwab, but I'm actually stunned the number of people who don't know who the heck he is, or every time I bring him up, they get his name wrong. And I think Klaus Schwab, not necessarily himself, because he's sort of powerless without all of the interests that he represents, but he's basically the front man or the spokesperson for the control oligarchy, the, uh, the World Economic Forum, and uh, the people who fly to Davos to... You know, every year, every year, and we're coming up on January, you'll start to see the headlines. And it's the same headlines every year. Oh, all these elites, they're flying over on their private jets to lecture us about climate change. But I actually went through all of the various reports they put out, and they're, they're, they're into some pretty sinister stuff, especially transhumanism-related stuff. So we can talk about Yuval Noah Harari, 
And uh, I know you've probably seen that guy before, but if you haven't, I'd be happy to share some of his quotes. I mean, he is the visionary behind transhumanism uh, at, at the global level, and he's uh, praised and celebrated by everyone from Barack Obama to Bill Gates to Mark Zuckerberg and Google. And everybody loves Yuval Noah Harari, but uh, if you read any of his writings, you'll probably not love him. So... Those are the five characters. There's room for more, or there, there wasn't apparently allegedly room for more. Uh, in my opinion, Elon Musk belonged on the cover. Um, we also have Laureen Powell Jobs, Steve Jobs' widow. Uh, there's BlackRock's Larry Fink, who he, he belongs on the cover. So we could probably have a 30-headed beast on there. There's about 30 control darks in the book, You know, maybe more, maybe slightly less. Um, but these five really, they get their own chapters and they appear throughout other chapters. And the publisher thought five would be a good number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe I talked to you while the cover was being designed and I, I suggested uh, Elon Musk be on the cover. <laughs> but that would have been good, though. Um, it, it is interesting. The. Uh, yeah, they're flying. They're flying over. Uh, country to con uh, country in their private jets uh, while preaching uh, a new climate agenda or, you know, controlling the climate or, you know, limiting certain, um, certain pollution that causes global warming. But on the, on the flip side, they're actually, they're pushing for an agenda that uses weather modification or geoengineering as a way to fix um, 70 years of geoengineering that I believe uh, is a big cause of, of pollution in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, and I feel it, it should go without saying, but it never, it, it, it doesn't. So, uh, but it should go without saying, I mean, especially when I get into debates with uh, my left-wing friends and colleagues, family members, is nobody wants a dirty planet. Nobody wants dirty air or dirty water. I mean, they, you know, of course, corporations, you know, you, you could argue corporations do, but they don't even, I mean, I wouldn't say that they want that. They just produce that for profit. But um, nobody wants, nobody wants a dirty planet. And then, so then it gets down to, and I don't really get into the anthropogenic catastrophic. I mean, I, you know, you could probably get, take a guess of where I fall on that, but uh you know, this, this, I, I really more get into like what they're using climate change for. And yeah, the, I mean, the, the geo uh, engineering and the weather modification stuff is obviously uh, a, a terrible idea. I mean, Bill Gates wanting to spray, what is it, like silver iodide or whatever into the atmosphere. Yeah, sulfur, uh, sulfur dioxide plus, uh, yeah, uh, silver iodide as, like, as well. Yeah, I mean, to really, in quote, to mimic volcanic explosions i mean do they really want to shield the earth or you know have day turn to night where there's no longer day or night uh it's uh, some very sinister very sinister ideas that they're attempting to uh, condition the public to accept yeah and, and like and that's and that's the kind of the worst case scenario stuff like total uh collapse of uh, humanity and uh planetary extinction and so that's a pretty bad worst case but the best case scenario is they're funneling us into 
a system of total control because energy controls everything energy you know and, and you notice this as your heating bills go up and as your fuel your car you know your gas bills go up and everything it's just like it touches everything on your life the groceries bills go up when the fuel price goes up and every the price of everything goes up when fuel prices increase and so um like that like taking control of that it can't be overstated how it will control basically the totality of life on this planet and so they're doing that by um trying to eliminate and i get so we, we if you want to launch it i mean we could we could go chapter by chapter or if you want to start with like energy because that's i mean i think it probably makes sense like i i i uh i organize the chapters in a in a chronological type sequence that also uh builds on on one another so that um i think we should probably start with the overpopulation and how these guys are malthusian uh you know, they think the earth is overpopulated and, and the climate change debate really grew out of an overpopulation debate. And so if you want, I can just uh, kind of launch into chapter one and the Rockefellers. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, let's go ahead and start from the beginning and, uh, you know, tie all the pieces together along the way. That sounds great. So so I, I start chapter one with this meeting of the the good club. And uh, some people may have heard of this meeting. A lot of people uh, haven't. And so this this meeting took place in May 2009. It was at Rockefeller University in Manhattan. It was organized by Bill Gates uh, and David Rockefeller uh, and George Soros were like the three uh, like sponsors of this meeting. And so the context is the it's May 2009. Barack Obama has just been inaugurated president. Uh, they all spend a tremendous amount of money to get him elected. And, and people like Oprah Winfrey are there. It's only about 15 billionaires. Oprah Winfrey's there. Ted Turner, the founder of CNN and uh, and some others. And uh, it's also on the tail end of the global financial crisis. And so there's a lot of populist resentment rising against people who cashed in on the um uh, the the global financial crisis. People like Warren Buffett and and Stephen Schwartzman of Blackstone, uh, they all made a, a a killing while people were getting foreclosed on. So um, it's out of this meeting that they come up with you know something called the Giving Pledge, which is really just a scheme to to launder their profits into into so called charity, which is really just their own foundations, which they in turn use to make more money. And it's not not really charity charity at all if it's a profit making endeavor, but at this good club, the thing that stunned me and it kind of sets the table for the whole book is they are there to debate. Well, Barack Obama has just been elected. Why don't we take this opportunity to pool our resources into uh, a cause like that we can all unite behind? And you think, oh, maybe it's maybe it's birth control and abortion. A lot of these people are huge funders of birth control and abortion. Maybe it's climate change. They kind of have since be, since this meeting become huge funders of uh, climate change type activities. Um, but no, what they, what they all decide and, and they all took their cues from Bill Gates who convened, who convened the meeting that the number one issue facing mankind, not pandemics, not yet, uh, is overpopulation. And so <laughs> you, you kind of, people, people, people don't realize that, the, uh, I mean, well, actually, sort of low information people do think that the earth is wildly overpopulated and it's it stuns me every time like when i hear people say that oh no like having kids is like i don't want to do harm to the planet and it's like um there's no evidence that you know, overpopulation is a total myth um there's no evidence of it. it's not science. 
There's no science behind it. I mean, if you've ever flown in a plane over uh, just about any country, uh, you'll see lots and lots of wide open green space. And uh, obviously, 70% of our planet is covered in water. So we don't have a, pro a water problem. We just have a salt problem. And there's plenty of desalinization efforts underway. So there's really no, there really is no end, like, uh, like resource exhaustion. There's no proof of that. If, like, if there were resources running out, they would be getting more and more expensive. Instead, they're getting cheaper and cheaper because of how ab abundant they are. And, uh, you know, we, I'm not a scientist, but there's all kinds of uh, scientists who speak on this subject. But anyway, that's, that's beside the point. Um, the point is overpopulation is this myth that these elites have bought into hook, line and sinker. And it's, and so I started there and then I was like, well, the Rockefeller foundation just keeps coming up and it kind of lingers in the background and you go look at the bottom of some report that looks uh, particularly nefarious, whether it's like the event 201 or, or like they had these pandemic planning exercises 10 years before COVID about how everybody will need to social distance and wear masks. And it's like, man, this seems oddly prophetic. Uh, what's going on here? And they're, they're all, they're involved in digital ID and CBDCs, central bank digital currencies and, and all of the all the stuff that just kind of raises the hairs on your neck of like this seems not good. The Rockefeller Foundation keeps popping up, and so I thought to myself, well, why don't? Because I had started, I had thought like most people, oh, the Rockefellers were kind of like these. I mean, they had Standard Oil, they were big oil barons, probably the, the greatest capitalists in terms of like their ability to make money. Not uh, great as in like heroic, but uh, probably the most capable capitalists uh, ever. And, uh, and then, you know, what the schools teach you is like, oh, well, they funded hospitals and libraries and schools and universities. Like, these are good, these are good guys. I mean, you know, in a sense, I mean, not, not so much the plundering of resources or what have you, but, um, no, I went back and looked into the Rockefellers and it totally shocked me that, uh, first of all, they were not always philanthropists. Uh, you know, Standard Oil was a cutthroat uh, cutthroat enterprise that in, in a lot of dishonest ways made its money. It would, uh, spy on competitors and use lawfare to put them out of business and all kinds of stuff that, uh, got it into trouble with the justice department. But anyway, so uh, going through the history of the Rockefeller foundation, I found that they've been studying viruses since the early 1900s, uh, even before the Spanish flu, which was the last global epidemic in like the mid to late 1910s. Um, they were researching polio vaccines and malaria and smallpox and basically every disease. And I found that because they were uh, researching these diseases um, better than any government could. And that's, and that's kind of a theme here is that the corporations are above the government because they are able to do things that the government is just totally incapable of doing. It doesn't have the resources. It doesn't have the organization. It's kind of dysfunctional. And I think we feel that all the time. but um they so so when they when they set up their their medical institutes they exported this to every country all around the world i mean they were in china before the chinese communist party existed um and they and what what would happen is the the governments and countries all around the world would essentially give the rockefeller foundation the keys to the kingdom because when you come in and you say i can cu cure your population of malaria or smallpox or whatever the disease of the day is the governments will give you whatever you want. And, and, and at the same time, they have their capitalist endeavors like Standard Oil. And after it was broken up into 34 different companies like Exxon, et cetera, um, 
the resources would flow out. And so it was a very profitable business model. Like you like, we'll come in, we'll, we'll help treat your sick populations. And then you give us whatever we want. Um, they, and then in the 19 mid, so that was like early 1900s as they, they figured out that business model. Then in the, you know, mid 1900s, 1940s and fifties, they had this thing called the green revolution where they went into Mexico and they rounded up all the heirloom crop seeds, um, uh, you know, you know, corn and, and whatnot, beans. And, and they took all of the heirloom seeds and they started tinkering with the genetics because they were a medical research uh, foundation. They, they knew a lot about genetics and, and breeding and strains um, of seeds. And this is how they created sort of miracle seeds there. At the time, they were known as miracle seeds. And they went into India and they would, they would get all the rice and they would make miracle rice and they would get all the wheat in China and make, you know, miracle wheat. And what a miracle, what their miracle GMO crops were, was basically resistant to pesticides and herbicides and fertilizers, which were in a lot of cases byproducts of the standard oil of the, you know, of their petroleum business. And so they sprayed chemicals and all kinds of stuff. And they found strains of wheat and, and created strains of, of rice that were uh, uh, very hardy and resistant to the chemicals that they spray on. And so they took over the food system. 70 years ago in a lot of ways. Um, and now, now everybody's using GMO seeds, you know, and Monsanto is a big player and they, you know, Terminator seeds and all that. And, uh, Bill Gates is now, you know, we can get to Bill Gates in a minute, but just the, these, the Rockefellers were the control of prototype. They did the same thing in education. They would, they, you know, they, they centralized curriculums and made it so that kids actually got dumber. I believe there's a quote from John T. Rockefeller says, I don't, I don't want a nation of workers. I mean, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. And so uh, there's evidence that the education system has been dumbed down intentionally uh, and so, and so on. So, so every industry, I mean, so they had energy with the oil. Um, they had a total monopoly for a while on petroleum and then they broke it up, but then they maintained large stakes in all of the companies that standard oil turned into. So medical energy, food, education. I mean, that, that about covers it, uh, in terms of controlling industries. Um, but I want to comment uh, real quick, but here's, yeah, sure. Just want to make a comment. Uh, it, it seems as if they had established themselves as like you said, above government, but it, it's almost as if they were a, a like perpetual global governing system, um, just by being such a huge corporation that uh, uh, put its uh, its ladle in pretty much every pot, uh, they were probably more powerful than most governments of the world, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And and so it's actually like it, it was Rockefellers. I mean, the Council on Foreign Relations. I mean, in the United Nations. I mean, they don't. Rockefellers donated the land upon which the United Nations headquarters sits, and uh, David Rockefeller was the head of the Council on Foreign Relations. And a lot of these globalist organizations. Well, and I probably should have said this from the outset, but and I'll say it. I'll say it now, and I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it a third time. The number one goal of the controlarchs and the characters in this book is to transfer power away from nations, away from individual people to supranational, international organizations controlled by them. And so like, what do I, what do I mean by that? It's like by weakening countries, by weakening the bonds amongst the citizenry, by weakening the company country, whether it's economically or 
by other means, mass migration, genetically, um, by demographic, genetically through its food, etc. By weakening countries and weakening people, uh, that transfers uh, power from the country to an international organization that is controlled not by countries but by corporations and uh, controlligarchs. And so that would be things like the World Health Organization and the United Nations and the World Bank and uh, you know all all of the other supranational organizations that we don't elect any of the leadership of. You know, so who the heck is this Dr. Tedros in the head, of, head in charge of the World Health Organization and who elected him? And because they're unelected, they're unaccountable, which is the perfect system for a control oligarch. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't want people to be able to vote them out. They want to be able to rule by fiat and by dict- diktat like forever. Um, and uh, so anyway, that's that's their number one goal. And you can see that. And that's what the Rockefellers have been up to for 100 years. So this is this is like a longstanding, you know, sort of a conspiracy. I mean, it's in plain sight in a lot of ways, but pe- it's, it's sort of too co- complex for a lot of people to grasp. And it, it's uh, it's, you know, a lot of people don't believe that there can be this longstanding uh, like uh, agenda, but there certainly is an agenda that goes back 50, 70 years. And so part of that agenda and part of weakening populations is uh, this overpopulation thing. It was the Rockefellers who, who backed organizations like the club of Rome, which the club of Rome put, put out, and I, I want to say the late sixties, maybe early seventies, a report called the limits to growth. And so it's really important, like this limits to growth book, it was totally flawed. It was totally cooked up uh you know uh it wasn't scientific at all but they they masked it in data and numbers and it's kind of like the hockey stick graph for those who are familiar with that for climate change where it's just like this this graph that you look at and you're like oh my gosh it's just like a a shooting spike upwards and we're all gonna die unless we do certain things and among those things this is long before abortion uh had become normalized uh, and Rockefellers worked very hard to normalize abortion. I mean, they funded this institute called the Hastings Center, which was uh, hailed as the world's first bioethical institute. And just go look at the Hastings Institute's website and all of the things that they're claiming are ethical, things like euthanasia or uh, the selling of uh, aborted fetal tissue. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's basically just a, a thing that the Rockefellers funded in order to say, yeah, what we're doing is ethical and everybody, and, and to put sciency jargon all around it so that people couldn't ask any questions, but they poured tens of millions, billions of dollars at this point, the control guards have spent normalizing things like abortion, killing your offspring, not having kids to begin with. They funded every single type of birth control and contraceptive from IUDs to hormonal pills that you take monthly. They love pills that are monthly, by the way, not not one and done type situations. Um, and even this this drug called mifepristone, which as we speak, the Supreme Court is uh, set to review on the legality of mifepristone because it's not like the plan B or morning after pill. Mifepristone is like an abortifacient. It actually can kill the fetus up to, I think, any any period, but 15 weeks or so. Um, and and uh, doctors say it's actually extremely painful. It just so happens to be the most popular method of uh, abortion in the country. It's drug-induced or chemical-induced abortion. And they don't Planned Parenthood who distributes this drug. Uh, doesn't tell young girls who come and get the drug that it's going to be painful. You're going to have to essentially de- deliver an, an aborted dead baby uh, at your house. 
Um, but nonetheless, that's that's something the Rockefellers funded. And George Soros and other control guards, Warren Buffett, actually were behind a secret shell corporation set up in the Cayman Islands that profits from this. So I think even even the most uh, staunch pro-choice person would agree that uh, it's kind of grotesque to be profiting from pain because you know, 80% of women who take the drug experience serious pain. Um, and so you'd think uh, if these guys were so charitable and they were so believing in the idea that this is women's empowerment, they could do it for free. But anyway, I digress. So the Limits to Growth report from the Club of Rome and uh, the World Economic Forum was founded right at this time, um, was just completely centered on over this idea of overpopulation. And since then, overpopulation has just, it's been rebranded. That's really all that's happened. I mean, so it, it, cause they realized, you know, they realized in the sixties and seventies, uh, the masses, you know, the number one question after you tell someone there's too many people on planet earth is, well, what are we going to do about it? And most people don't like to hear, well, we need to make sure there's less, less of you. So it's got a real branding problem, uh, overpopulation, but th- so they rebranded it to, uh, resource exhaustion which turned into pollution and which turned into global but pollution is like you know a lot of people live in places that aren't polluted um and so you don't see pollution all the time or if you do it's like a gross you know gutter or something but generally when you go look at a river or an ocean or you know a a beautiful countryside uh you don't see the pollution um and so it doesn't you know it doesn't have the same scary effects which is why um you know something like a global cooling we're headed for an ice age and we're all going to freeze to death but then you know they say that's going to happen in 10 years and 10 years it's not colder so then it's like well uh, actually it's going to be global warming and uh, in 10 years we're all going to die from and the seas are going to rise and and polar bears aren't going to have any places to hang out so uh that's got some really good scary imagery but then after 10 15 years of that people realize, well, wait a second, uh, my winter was actually much colder this year than last year. So that kind of loses its uh, fear factor. And so eventually they arrive at climate change um, by the 2000s, mid-2000s. But even climate change is kind of people have collectively sort of shrugged. Now, you know, that's not to say that pollution isn't bad. It obviously is very bad. But, uh, you know, the idea, like what what this is really all about and what the Rockefeller's um, sort of coined, and this is what the World Economic Forum was founded on, and this is what the Club of Rome was about, is saying that there are global problems. Like There are these global problems that are too big for any one country to solve, and therefore you need to transfer your power, you citizens, you peasants all around the world, you need to transfer your power, your wealth, You need to. we need to pay hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars into global organizations that are purportedly going to save us all and it's a, such an ambitious goal saving the planet it's quite arrogant actually but um anyway so so collectively i, I crunched all the numbers i put them in the book i mean we've spent over a trillion dollars since the mid early 90s trying to solve climate change or global warming or ozone layers or whatever they rebranded it to um over a trillion dollars with like pretty much nothing to show for it um and then the cop 28 event was just last week uh and they said we need more we need more billions many more billions tens and hundreds right. of more billions of dollars yeah i wanted to touch on that just for a second uh yeah sure at the heels of of the cop 28 meeting <clears throat> there uh, surprisingly russia 
uh, Russia's nuclear arm did attend and put on a presentation. I'm not sure for how many days, but um, they were asked by the World Nuclear Association to join their international group known as Net Zero Nuclear, which is really like a World Economic Forum version of nuclear. So here we have all these various countries. I mean, in the U.S. and Russia are supposed to be enemies, right? Uh, we have Rosatom, or Rosatom, however one chooses to pronounce it, uh, working hand-in-hand -hand with United States corporations, including Centris, uh, the former USEC, uh, and Converdine. Um, so to me, there's a lot of conflict of interest there, and it really shows who is really controlling or attempting to control the planet and... Uh, and the minds of people by saying, okay, yeah, we're, we're uh, separate countries divided by borders, but really we go in, into these closed-door meetings and we're all secretly working together. That, uh, yeah, you, you nailed it. Because I get into this debate with people all the time where you know they're, they're constantly angling for a new war and, oh, in Ukraine and Russia and blah, 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 and, and China, and we got to go after China. It's like China... Like and you hear it with the talk of decoupling from China, and when Xi Jinping came to San Francisco and they rolled out the red carpet for him, um, you you saw quite clearly that there's no intention to decouple from China. In fact, our elites don't view China as an adversary. I always hear, you always hear people say this, like we need to get tough on China. China is our adversary, um, and that's just not the case. Because well, well, really, what it is is. We need to better define the terms like we and our, like who are you talking about we and our, because the elites in our country, the control oligarchs and even the elites in the political class, they don't view China as an adversary. They don't view them as even a competitor. They view China as a partner and a friend. Same thing with Russia when it comes to the nuclear stuff. They don't view China as an enemy. Uh, you know, Daniel Poneman, head, former head of Centris. Uh, doesn't view China as an adversary. He views China as a partner and a, biz a business partner and friend. I mean, you can see the, the photos of him ch cheersing his champagne glasses with uh, Sergei Kirienko. So um, they, 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 it, what, what the truth is, is you and I and the people listening to this uh, show have more in common with your average Chinese uh, peasant or your average Russian citizen than we do with Bill Gates or... Uh, any of the, the elites in our country and uh, the elites in our country have more in common with uh, with Xi Jinping and with Zelensky and Putin than any of them have with us. So there's absolutely uh, an alliance amongst the global elites. Now, they, you know, they saber rattle. And that's not to say that, like, in the long term, China isn't going to try to overthrow the global order or something. Um, you know, I wouldn't, uh, if I were, if I were our elites, I wouldn't trust China. They've got an ancient history, uh, thousands of years and, uh, they do, you know, they do, uh, have sort of you know, very nationalist tendencies, but they're also members of the global, you know, the global elite in the world economic forum. And so, um, it's, it's much better if we view all of the, the people who go to Davos as against us. And that would include the leaders of countries that we would normally think of as adversaries or even enemies perfectly so, perfectly uh, explained 
Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the number one goal of these control arcs, and they're from every country. Um, I focus on the American ones mainly and be, because they're the wealthiest, um, and so they have the most economic power. But uh, the number one goal is to transfer power away from the United States, away from, uh, away from individual nations, away from the people, uh, into their globalist organizations that they control. Um, and they do this via crises. So, I mean, the climate, we talked about the climate crises, sort of touched on the food crises. I mean, the, the Green Revolution, when the Rockefellers rounded up all the seeds from each individual country and started genetically modifying them, that was to solve the, cr the crisis of uh, starvation and, and uh, malnutrition. And so they, they, they pick these crises and there's always opportunities in crises. Um, the latest uh, being the pandemic. Well, there's 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 more crises on the horizon. I hate to say it, but uh, the pandemic was a pretty big crisis where the world had to come together. And uh, this is where you get the Great Reset, where Klaus Schwab basically says the pandemic. He doesn't basically say it. He says that the pandemic is a great opportunity for a reset, where uh, we're going to upend capitalism. We're going to upend uh, you know all of the economic systems, and we're going to upend our energy systems, and we're going to build back better. And then you heard all the global leaders all like they're reading from the same script, like build back better. We got to build back better. And what does that mean? That means building systems, tyrannical systems that they control. So from the energy, uh, they want to control all of the energy. They want to write down to the temperature in your home, what kind of vehicle you can drive, what, where you can go, when you can go places. I mean, they just put a kill switch uh, mandate, our own, our own Congress, our own elected officials, and they didn't dream this up and they're dumb enough to accept what like the line that like, oh, this is to prevent drunk driving or something. Um, every vehicle manufactured after 2026 must be in like have a, a, a kill switch that can be controlled remotely so that if you're, I guess, going to be a drunk driver, so, like, like it just doesn't even make sense. Like what the government can all of a sudden detect that you're a drunk driver. I mean, they already have the breathalyzer things that they can install in someone who gets a DUI's car. Um, why would they need a remote control switch that they can just turn off your vehicle? Well, I mean, you can kind of, you can kind of see, look into the future. Uh, if you post something that they deem as misinformation or hate speech, intentionally vague terms that they don't define for you, um, you might lose your weekend driving privileges or, uh, you know, if you're if you're a, a dissident or an opponent of the regime, you uh, you might not be able to have your home kept at the same temperature because it's a strain on the grid. Um, and it all sounds sort of crazy, but except for the fact that they're already doing it. You look at the Canadian truckers in Canada in the middle of the winter; uh, they had all of their assets frozen and seized because they were simply protesting against vaccine mandates. And you look in Ireland right now the the rioters who are who are you know in some in arguably rightly upset that a non-Irish migrant uh, stabbed multiple children to death, so they so they start protesting. Well, what do the Irish lawmakers do? They want to pass laws saying that it's illegal to speak out against this kind of thing, and they even are talking about freezing the the assets of the of the protesters, the Irish protesters. Now it's the middle of the winter. Uh, you know, you, you see someone's money in the middle of winter, they might, they might starve, they might freeze. So it's, uh, it's not, it's not crazy to say this stuff because it's happening as we speak. And, and then in America, I mean, January 6th showed that if you are protesting something and I'm not excusing any of the violent behaviors, but plenty of people who are, uh, in Washington on January 6th, who've been rounded up 
you know, grannies who were just uh, caught, you know, fell into the wrong place, wrong time are now in jail and their banks, you know, worked with the government to find them and track them and hunt them down and, and throw them in jail with no due process. So um, it's a, it's a, it's serious, it's serious business. And it's uh it is happening right now. It, it appears to be calculated and planned. Um, uh, while while the planet and the world's inhabitants are in a crisis, maybe even a manufactured and planned crisis, they take advantage of a global population as a way to, to roll out new and advancing technologies and use uh, the global population uh, essentially as, uh, as uh, experimental subjects. Uh, is, is that fair to say that they, that they do use these crises as a way to uh, start um, start integrating more technology into uh, the human uh, the human day to day life, and if not into actually physically the human being itself, uh, then going into the transhumanism. Well, yeah, no, exactly, and and uh, I'm glad like I didn't realize these. The time flies when you're having fun. I didn't realize I've got about uh, maybe 10 minutes left. So we, this is a perfect time to get into the transhumanist stuff. Uh, so, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, so Klaus Schwab, when he gets up in July of 2020, and this is really when he came onto the world stage. I mean, he's been the head of the Davos World Economic Forum for decades since the 19, early 1970s. But most people hadn't heard of him until he gets up in front of the cameras and says it's time for a great reset and everybody talks about the great reset and sort of you know he's got this uh, very bond villain-esque accent and he just seems like a parody of some sort of movie character villain like dr evil or something but vampire um, but, but what most people don't uh key in on is when he, he talks about the four he says so so what is the great reset going to bring about well number one it's going to bring a green uh, like we're going to rebuild in a greener way. And, and people, you know, people kind of wonder like what the heck does uh, green and environmentalism have to do with pandemic? We're starting to see that and climate lockdowns are on the horizon and stuff like that. Um, he also talks about stakeholder capitalism. And we, you know, we can touch, uh, we, we I, I sort of touched on that, but they wanted to overthrow free market capitalism with a new system called uh, stakeholder capitalism. That's what Klaus Schwab calls it. And and stakeholder capitalism is basically what they have in China, which is state-run capitalism, where uh, only the, the the people who are at the World Economic Forum are the stakeholders, and nobody votes for anything. It's all uh, it's really fascism, is what it is. But um, the third thing that he talks about, and this is the transhumanism stuff, is he calls it the fourth industrial revolution, and we need to digitalize everything, and that includes digital ID, it includes central bank digital currencies. And uh, really getting into sort of microchipping humans. And that's the other theme that's really throughout the book here is um, this, this, tra this whole transhumanist thing is about their desire. And it's an age old desire to live forever. Um, you know, the one thing that might unite all of us uh, with the, you know, that we even the, the control guards and your average citizen has in common is uh, we're all going to die. That's what everybody has in common. And uh, some people deal with that in different ways. Um, and these, uh, these control oligarchs are by and large godless atheists who don't believe in an afterlife. So they're probably pretty terrified of, of death. Um, and so they, and the, the difference between us and the control oligarchs is that they actually have the resources to try to do something about it. And so that's, uh, really what a lot of their goals with transhumanism from, 
Elon Musk to Mark Zuckerberg to uh, Jeff Bezos wants to upload his brain to the cloud. And they really think that they can uh, mimic. And, and it's like they have, a God, they have a God complex on steroids. And you see it with the, um, that's what, and that's what the mRNA injections are really all about. Well, it's not about curing the common cold. It's, uh, it's really about reversing aging. And, and Elon Musk talks about this with mRNA and how magical of a technology it is, is you can, you can hack the human bio, bo body. Um, and you can possibly reverse aging. So, I mean, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of other goals. I mean, with the transhumanist thing, they want to create a whole new caste system where, uh, you know, biotechnological upgrades and getting the microchip and you've got Wikipedia, uh, right in your brain so you can, um, excel. And, and, you know, this is coming where, uh, the Neuralink, Elon Musk's company just got FDA approval this past spring to start human test trials. And, uh, you know, in the book I talk about, there's, a, there's over 10,000 people who've had microchips put into their brains. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll start, it'll start small with like, you know, maybe psychic, psychic text messaging where you can just think a text and send it and uh, play video games uh, all in your head without the need of a, for a controller. Um, and then eventually they'll give you the, uh, the upgrade to uh, never feel sad again. And, uh, and eventually you'll find yourself uh, physically incapable of resistance. <laughs> uh, that, you know, that's, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, speaking a little tongue in cheek there being humorous, but honestly, like that's, you know, that's where this is all headed. Yeah. And that opens up the possibility for total control over a population of people. First convince them that this technology uh, integration into their brains or their <laughs> nervous system is for their own good or for their better for their health. Or it'll just be fun for them, right? The the possibility, though, of this technology being remotely controllable is quite high. You know, I'm speaking um, out of speculation, though the common trend that I'm seeing is they have a bloodlust for total control and how best to do it in a technological revolution or the fourth technological revolution by integrating software into human beings that may be controlled by this software when they believe it's just really convenient fun and good for them yeah i know exactly it's there's no telling how many people uh and they and, and huxley talks about this in brave new world uh the painless the painless concentration camp um and there's no telling how many people will not just trot or or meander or even walk slowly into the painless concentration camp they'll run into it and it's uh you, you know you see it with all technology i mean elon musk sort of makes a great point that uh we're already all hooked up to the cloud in a, in a lot of ways through our devices and he's just trying to remove the middle the middleman the the peripheral and put it directly there but i mean just uh you know Look at look at uh, look at not your or my or you know necessarily your listeners, but just have someone look at their screen time, and it's uh, it's going up every year. Everybody's screen time's going up. I'm certainly guilty of it. You know, I I'm always shocked when I look at the amount of time I'm on my device. So um, I'm good. I'm I'm sort of running out of time here. I've got to I've got to feed the baby and and get her ready for bed. Um, but solutions, uh, you know, put down the device, go outside. Uh, touch grass has sort of become a meme but seriously and 
and it's important to share this information and to get it out and to to share this show um and 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 follow people like bobby who are telling the truth and, and bobby to your credit you are like were and remain years ahead of the curve i mean you were on uh, the 2040 is it 2040 or 2045 yeah uh initiative yeah um like years before i was and i was and i was looking at that stuff and i was like man this seems so science fiction and they're like you yeah, know well they're not gonna do this and five years later it's like man you you've been you've been so far ahead of the curve so so share bobby's show get more people listening um and uh yeah call call to actions i mean we got it we've got to act we've got to organize um the solution to a lot of these problems that are brought on by globalist crises real and manufactured is like just like in a word local it can be solved at the local level by organizing locally getting together with people irl that's in real life uh and buying everything you can local you know find out where your food's coming from support your local farmers don't be uh buying you know the bill gates fake meats and stuff like that at the the grocery store uh grow your own food if you can if you've got the space for it grow as much of it as you can get chickens all of that um it's you know it's a thousand little actions but it's choices you make uh all throughout the day absolutely here yeah there's definitely not enough time in one hour to talk about all that we need to talk about but uh thank you Seamus. we got through chapter one i think we got through chapter one so we'll need 10 more of these okay yeah we can organize that certainly uh i, I would love to do that actually so um yeah Seamus bruner the author of the brand spanking new book controlligarchs exposing the billionaire class their secret deals and the globalist plot to dominate your life as well as the director of research at the Government Accountability Institute. Again, Seamus Bruner. I want to thank you and congratulate you on all the books and all of your uh, successes so far. And uh, life is a journey, and it's very important we collaborate and work, work together on these dire issues. So Seamus Bruner, I want to thank you for all your service so far. and It's an honor to cross paths again, brother. Uh, I love you, Bobby. Thank you so much for your time and having me on. All righty. You're welcome. Yes, we'll Take talk care. soon. All righty. God bless, brother. Peace. God bless. Bye.